Next on Abounding Grace, a word of encouragement to wives. Spend as much time, ladies, this is a word to wives, spend as much time caring for the inside as you care for the outside. Spend as much time thinking about the inside because it will translate to the outside. And it's not just beauty and makeup and jewelry. It is you and what you present. It's just you. Your husband loves you. And the closer you are to God, the more attractive you will be. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for. We're glad we can share this next half hour together with you and welcome to Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor will be in 1 Peter. As we get back into chapter 3, we're again looking at marriage as God intended it to be. Today, we'll see the role of the Christian wife and then later this week, the role of the Christian husband. Last time, Pastor Ed stressed that submission is not a dirty word or to be despised, but rather it's a Christ-like action and the Lord calls the wife to it. But a good number of people today have reached the wrong conclusion related to submission in the home. Here's Ed with what it does and does not mean. He says that by the conduct of their wives, they will be, there's an observable chaste conduct that's accompanied by the fear of God. There's, a, there's an observable conduct that's accompanied with the fear of God. I think of an example in the Bible of a husband who is a man of great faith, but he was also a man of great failure. And we get a little bit of insight into his marriage and an example of his wife. In Genesis, well, it really, if you jump down to, to um, verse 6, you see the example that Peter gives us. He says, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and you're not afraid with any terror. Abraham's given to us an example uh, of a failure of a husband, and Sarah is given us to an example of a successful wife submitting to a failure husband. And, and if you know the story, you know in Genesis chapter 12, a famine hits the land, and Abraham decides to go to Egypt for help, which was mistake number one. What did Sarah do? Followed him. And then in Egypt, Abram tells Pharaoh she's his sister, which is basically a half-truth, but a full lie, and she's taken into Pharaoh's harem. Mistake number two. And it's easily, I think, if we were in Sarah's, I mean, I, I, we wouldn't, men couldn't be in that, but ladies, if you're in Sarah's position, you think, man, is that what I get if I submit? Forget it. I didn't sign up to become a part of a harem. <laughs> I mean, that's just out. That doesn't even make sense in our culture today. But you might replace that with something else. You know, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't expect it to be like this. This is not what I want. This is where submission gets me, then I don't want it. But you'll notice that even though Abram was making big-time hurtful mistakes, God protected Sarah. You can look in Genesis chapter 12, and then you can jump to Genesis 20 for homework. You can see that even though her husband failed to be her covering, God took care of her, protected her, and guarded her. 
And who knows what behind the scenes God was telling Sarah, Sarah ministering to her personally. We don't know what, we don't have that interaction. We just know she wasn't taken advantage of. She, we just know she wasn't hurt. We know that her husband failed her greatly and God swept in to take care of her. That's a beautiful thing. And in Abram's life, he makes even more than just a few mistakes because he repeats almost the whole same thing in Genesis 20 with Abimelech, the king. And you know, Wives, sometimes your husbands, they just won't, might not learn. Your husband may not learn the lesson the first time. And he may fail. Will you, say, Will you just leave him then? Well, I mean, all the ladies are at work are telling you to leave him. But then the question would be, why are you talking to ladies at work about your husband and about your marriage? That's a sacred relationship. Why are you talking down or bad about your husband? Well, you know, he is down. He is bad. He's horrible. He sold me into a harem. Well, man, if your marriage is that bad, then let pastoral care get involved to help point you to the Lord if it's really that bad and really that hurtful and really that harmful. But you start talking to other people and you expose your marriage like that, especially to people that are not going to give you good counsel. You are so vulnerable in your pain that it'd be very easy for you to take bad advice. Just leave the bum. And at the wrong moment, at the wrong time, you may just decide to do that. Really looking at the lives of those ladies at work, and this may be a word for someone. That's why I wrote it such. Looking at the lives of those ladies at work, is that really what you want your life to end up being? Always talking down on their husband, talking down, partying. You know, I've seen it happen time and again. In this church, I've seen it happen time and again. Where bad influences just sweep a person off their feet at the wrong time. And it ends in divorce. And it's just so sad. Maybe... As you view the mistakes in your marriage and you see even Abram and the mistakes, God is very merciful to this marriage and delivers Sarah. Again, she did what her husband said to do, followed him even as it got her in trouble and stuck it out with him. You know, it says that Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. That's something I've had Marie adopt into our marriage. It's, what do you guys laugh? It's fun to be called Lord. <laughs> no, it's just a term of respect. That's all it is. It's not a term of subjugation. It's a term of respect, which really speaks to the needs of a man in a marriage. They need respect and they need submission in a godly, God-honoring way. Sarah trusted God. And because Sarah trusted God, Peter says, you can trust God too. Even if there are mistakes in your marriage, because there will be. There will be mistakes. Your husband will fail you. And when you look at Abram as a man of faith, it's very challenging to live with a man of faith because he's always taking you in different areas. And yet it's really harder to live a man, with a man who has no faith. And the Bible says, you can jot it down in Psalm 37 verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Which leads us to the next section in verse 3, speaking to the wives. It says, do not let your beauty be that outward adorning of arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on a fine apparel. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible ornament of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands, as we've already seen the example of Sarah. So God is asking wives to be submissive outwardly and to be attractive inwardly. To be submissive outwardly, but to be attractive inwardly. 
Because it's the inward that counts. Inward beauty is so much more valuable than the outward, which is, again, the exact opposite of what this culture values, which is why it's hard to live in a culture that says, no, 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 no. It doesn't matter how corrupt you are on the inside. Just make sure you've got a good face. Make sure you put on a good face. Make sure you have a good look. Make sure you have the latest. Make sure everyone thinks outwardly everything is good while inside. Don't worry about it. But God doesn't act that way. If the Bible says in, uh, doesn't desire that. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having a promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Physical training is good, the NLT says. Same verse. But training for godliness is much better promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. And because there's so much emphasis today on how a woman looks outwardly, God is more interested in your heart. And even as the Proverbs say, inward beauty, outward beauty is not going to last forever. And truly, even the outward beauty, as we change and as we go through changes, the longer we're married, our love only grows, but our outward look changes. It changes. I am not the same guy Marie married, I'll tell you that. It changes. We're much older now. We've been together a long time. But in my life, my wife is more beautiful today than the day I met her. And let me tell you, the day I met her, pretty attractive. But we change. We go through things. Things are different now. And if Marie was only wanting to, uh, my wife, Marie, if she was only wanting to impress me outwardly, then she would lose out on the spiritual connection that God has given to us in marriage. And you can't make up for brokenness and distance from God inwardly by putting on a good face or an outward show. I know some churches, maybe even some husbands have taken these verses to conclude that a Christian woman, you know, can't wear makeup, can't wear jewelry, can't, get, can't be um, beautified or however put makeup on at all. But that's not God's instruction here. He's very clear that he's speaking to what's precious in the sight of God. And what's precious in the sight of God is that gentle and quiet spirit. This is not personality, right? So you might hear this, ladies, and say, but I'm a very boisterous woman. I'm a very strong woman and gentle and quiet spirit. No, this is the inward disposition of your life. It's not your personality. Because if you have a gentle, quiet spirit between you and the Lord, it's going to come out even in your personality. Your personality, maybe it is stronger. Well, you won't be so abrasive. Uh, your personality, maybe, you know, maybe you're more introverted in your personality. And if you have a gentle and quiet spirit before the Lord, you won't be pulling away from your husband every time you guys have an argument and hiding and saying, no, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. No, a gentle and quiet spirit says, no, I'm pleasing to the Lord. He accepts me and I'm willing to work on whatever's happening in my marriage right now. It's the inward, not the outward. So don't let some churches like dictate to you how long your skirts need to be. And, you know, modest is modest. And the Lord will lead you on what modesty is. And I think immodest is pretty clear as well. And the Lord will lead you to what immodest is. There's no room for legalism when it comes to these matters. These are matters of the Spirit. And you want to be careful that you don't create a list of things that are required in order to approve of someone or in order to encourage them that they're right with the Lord. So let me just show you. Come back in verse uh, 5. It says, do not let your beauty be that outward adorning of the hair of wearing gold or putting on fine apparel, but let it be the hidden person of the heart, the incorruptible ornament of a gentle and quiet spirit. Um, that outward adorning, that phrase, um, is literally the word cosmos in the Greek. 
And it literally means order in the world. It speaks of order. So we can translate verse 3 as saying, don't just be ordered outwardly in how you look, but make sure your life is ordered inwardly. Spend as much time, ladies, this is a word to wives, spend as much time caring for the inside as you care for the outside. Spend as much time thinking about the inside because it will translate to the outside. And it's not just beauty and makeup and jewelry. It is you and what you present. It's just you. Your husband loves you. And the closer you are to God, the more attractive you will be. And you can, that's a promise from the Lord. It's the hidden person of the heart, the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit. And it's just a beautiful thing for Jesus to create these things in a woman. Again, don't push these things to illogical extremes whereby through your quietness and gentleness, it exposes you to abuse and hurt. Women, ladies, wives, you are never required, never, I emphasize that word, never required to submit to abuse by another person. Never. So, well, but the Bible, he just used the Bible and the Bible says, I, no, it doesn't say to be abused. That's not God's heart from you. God is not an abuser. He's a lover. He's gentle, like God is calling you to gentle and quietness because the intent of God using that is to bring gentle and quietness out of your husband, not abuse. You do not need to submit to abuse. And I realize even some of you listening have been abused by men in your life. And this is just super hard for you to receive. And it's not just physical abuse. You know, it's not okay for your husbands to scream at you. It's not okay. That's not the right way. That's not God's heart. It's not okay for your husbands to try to control you with money and bank accounts. And somehow using the Bible to say, oh no, you know, it's not, that's not, the gentle and quietness is again, not to take it to an illogical, unbiblical extreme. However, what happens is, is that through bad behavior, and maybe it doesn't go to the extreme of abuse, but it's still bad and it's still hurtful. With each one, you just, your heart gets hardened and hardened and hardened, and you think it's not going to affect you, but eventually your heart gets so hard, like Pharaoh, you can't get out of it. And you don't want to get out of it. I guess you could get out of it, but you don't want to get out of it. And you start to make decisions, they're not biblical, but they, you start to make decisions from a hardened heart. And you know that every single divorce has happened because of a hardened heart. That's what Jesus said. And hearts don't get hardened overnight. Layer after layer after layer. Wives, the best way to get to your husband to go in a direction that you want him to go is encouragement. Encouragement is a very strong tool for the husband. It moves men, encouragement. Criticism will not move your husband in the positive direction. It just won't. It, it, criticism, are de guys are devastated by criticism. It just cuts their heart out. Guys, they, they have a hard time with criticism. It tears them down and builds walls between you and your husband. Inside, they walk around torn up and feeling beat up. And when you look at the greatest need of a man in marriage, biblically, you'll find that it's praise. It's praise. Just as Jesus is looking for praise from his bride. There's the greatest need in a man's life is continual praise. Praise in marriage so often comes, and don't misunderstand, and not saying worship, saying praise and encouragement. Praise often is demonstrated in the human realm through encouragement. Through encouragement. Encouraging your husband in his life. Husbands, when you look at your wife's greatest need now, uh, a wife's greatest need biblically is security. Security. 
Even as we, the church, the bride, blossom as believers when we feel the assurance and we're able to rest in the assurance of our relationship with him. When we're reminded that we're, like we saw earlier in chapter 1, we're kept by the power of God. And when you have encouragement matched with assurance, there's just a beautiful connection that grows in a marriage. And so why does that gentle, that quiet spirit, that incorruptible beauty lived out through the power of praise and the energy of encouragement? I mean, when you start encouraging your husband, when you just start pouring and lavishing encouragement upon him, he changes. He changes. I mean, let's just some dumb. Let's just look at something dumb. Like your husband, he just, he doesn't do, he doesn't do anything around the house and, and you just need him to mow the lawn. So it's just like, okay, you don't do anything around the house. And that's a big argument for you. You don't do anything. You're lazy on. And he comes, I work all day, blah, blah. You know, you know how that argument goes. So just the mowing the lawn. Here are your options, wives. You ready? Number one, you want your husband that's not really wanting to do anything, mow the lawn? Just go ahead and say, hey man, you lazy, no good for nothing husband. Put down the Xbox, turn off the football game, get out there and mow that lawn right now. Or we'll never come together for sex again for the next year. Or, honey, when you're out there mowing the lawn, man, your arms look so strong. You're just, you're just so cute out there. I just love to see you out there and... You know, just, hey man, he's going to mow the lawn more than it needs to be mowed. You, you have concrete in your backyard, and tomorrow it has grass. <laughs> because there's, an encour- there's something about God when you have that, that encouragement, you have that sense that, man, that's an expression of love toward me. And then it's just responded, like it's reciprocated with that idea of, man, I am, as a husband, I want to make sure you trust me, that you know I'm in your corner, that I'm here for you. And then before you know it, the arguments about being lazy and being on Xbox, playing video games all the time and whatever, you know, not, not caring about your marriage, not caring about your, like all of that, that, that gets, and then you start arguing about different things. But the way that you are, the way you solve those is just the same way. Love, we had that, that couple here, remember a few years ago, they did that big thing, filled this whole room with married couples. Love and respect, the two keys to marriage, love and respect. And it's very practical. It's almost as if the Lord sometimes calls us back to go back to when we were courting and dating, because that's what encouraged us so much, just courting and dating. And now it's like, ah, uh, so hard, so difficult. So, and then hard hearts. And before you know it, man, you're just going through the motions and... Some of you just waiting for the kids to grow up so after they leave, you can divorce. You're already planning it. And it's just not from the Lord. It's not his desire. It's not at all. Guys need that constant flow of encouragement from their wives. As a husband, we really need to know that you're on our side. And you might say, ladies, I don't have anything nice to say about him. Well, you just can't go there. Pray that the Lord would give you something. Turn something around in your heart about something that he does. And if he doesn't do, and I don't think it's possible, but if he doesn't do anything at all, ever, 1,000 million percent for you, then start praying that he might do something. Just start praying for him. Ministering to him. Read, like, like, take him to the throne room of grace, because the good news about that is when you take him to the throne room of grace, you'll be there too. And the Lord will minister to you in your hurt and in your pain and in your challenges. So in the midst of warfare, in the midst of challenges, the wives are addressed. We'll get to the husbands next time, but the wives are addressed. And he says, be submissive outwardly and choose to be attractive inwardly. As we walk in agape love, realizing that love covers a multitude of sins, the Holy Spirit really has his way in our lives. And there is a pattern. And, and perhaps you look at this today, wives, and you go, well, Ed, to the best of my ability, I think this describes me and nothing's changed. Well, then you're in a position of waiting on the Lord, aren't you? 
you're in a position of waiting on the Lord. And it doesn't absolve you from continue to be encouraging, continue to, to love, continue like, well, no, I just, I don't, I, I've, I don't love him anymore. Well, you know, that's just your emotions speaking. It's just your emotions speaking. And if you want to feed that emotion, you're not only going to stop loving him, but then you're going to start hating him. And I know if we work backwards, they're like, well, you know, with a lo- lack of love and a lack of, uh, and you start to hate your husband, I- I'm going to be pretty clear that, I- I- it's going to be pretty clear, at least we'll talk about it, how's chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 been in your life? Because if chapter 3, if any part of this, the Spirit of God is working in your heart, you're not going to get that far. And the Lord will help you along the way. Because it's God's heart. As much as maybe today you want to save your marriage, God's heart is even greater to have you enjoy your marriage. Enjoy it. Let it be joyful to you. Let it be sweet and wonderful so that the joy that overflows from your home will spill out into your community. To the people that are right next door, across the street, around the block, that have challenges in their marriage, but don't have the resources that you have. And it becomes a bridge for the gospel in your life. Even your rescued marriage speaks volumes of the faithfulness of God. To be submissive outwardly and attractive inwardly, that's God's call to wives. And tomorrow we'll go on to hear an exhortation to husbands here on Abounding Grace as Pastor Ed Taylor returns to 1 Peter 3. You can hear this message again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through our app. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. Pastor Ed, in today's message, you explained that husbands need encouragement, not criticism. Can you think of an example or two of how Marie has personally encouraged you? You know, Larry, Marie is such a great gift to me uh, in my life, and I, I love her personality. You know, we have been together for a long time, so we're celebrating. We're coming up on 32 years. Uh, you know, we were a boyfriend and girlfriend in high school. Uh, we got married as unbelievers, and, and Marie has been with me through each and every stage, some super really bad stages and some super really good stages. And the reason why God has given Marie to me as a gift, as, a, as my wife, is because she's a very black and white person. And so her encouragement will come just telling me it like it is, like telling me the truth. We all need someone in our life that's going to tell us the truth. You know, because Marie, she doesn't see me, oh, Pastor Ed. She's like, hey, Ed, this is the way it is. <laughs> she, you know, we've been together so long that she just, she's, she's going to speak to me directly to the situation. She's going to give me her point of view. Um, she is not a discourager. Um, she is not a complainer. Um, there, there are attributes about her that are perfect, that God could see long before I could see them. Uh, and she does. she's not a real critic. Uh, we have our days. We have our arguments. You know, we have our disagreements for sure as a married couple, but her ability to not get overly caught up in emotion her desire not to be overly dramatic uh, super helps me because I'm not that way either. And, uh, or maybe I'm more that than she is more on the, uh, responding in emotion. So when she speaks truth into my life, um, she just goes for it. And I would just encourage you husbands and wives in love, you know, speak the truth to one another and be open, not only to say it, but to receive it, uh, and, and be careful of, that critical spirit. You could even just pray for it right now and just being upset and critical instead of thinking others more highly in yourself like your spouse and just really encouraging them. So I love it. Marie's a great gift to me and I'm grateful for her. Thanks for sharing that, my friend. 
Maybe you're looking for a good book to go through as we begin a new year. Well, here in the month of January, we picked out an excellent one written by Lee Strobel. It's The Case for Heaven. We all want to know what awaits us on the other side of death. Do we just cease to exist, as some suggest, or reincarnate? Is there a heaven and hell? Much like a journalist, author Lee Strobel interviews experts about the evidence for the afterlife. You'll receive answers to your questions about what happens after we die. We'll send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call and ask for The Case for Heaven, our number 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order online at calvaryco.store. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners. And as we begin another year of delivering God's Word one verse at a time, we're looking to our listeners for help. Together, we can reach people with the love and truth of Christ and make a difference in these last days. To make a secure donation, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Well, next time on Abounding Grace, we'll continue Pastor Ed Taylor's study of 1 Peter. Thank you for listening today, and we'll look for you tomorrow as we open the Word together in search of God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.